Justin, don't you love having a clean set of balls? Do we mean footballs? No, I mean my testicles. Justin, when I used to trim little Ryan, it was a risky job. My shaver would often cut me, and so the whole experience was rather unpleasant. Is it similar for you? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's usually quite uncomfortable. Well, it doesn't have to be this way, because Manscaped have now launched in the UK. They are the ball shaving specialists. I've had a go on one of their trimmers, and it is a dream. It's designed specifically with your balls in mind. That means less accidents and a much smoother shave. Also, it's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower, and it's got an LED light, so you can see what you're doing. Justin, let me tell you, it's a life changer. That sounds amazing. Where can I get one? I'm glad you asked. Go to manscaped.com, and because you're a listener of this superb podcast, you can get 20% off plus free shipping if you use the code SECONDTIER. That's one word. So that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com, and use the code SECONDTIER. Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks. And I'm joined by the Jack Marriott to my Martin Waghorn. It's Justin Peach. Good afternoon. Justin, last week you had your first game of football in 11 months and you played six minutes. Can we have an update on how much you played this week? Well, no, I wasn't in the squad, but quite rightly so, you know. It's 11 months. I'm still working my way back. You don't rush into these things. I it's thought a you were slow build towards up, match but... fitness. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to bring this up, but yeah, fair enough. I was a first aider today, so... The physio. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. So one day you're off the bench, next minute you're the physio. It's it's a tough way to get back uh, to fitness, isn't it? You'll get there soon, mate. Don't worry. Yeah, you'll never get there. Sorry. Crack on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely won't. We're joined on the show today by championship expert Benjamin Bloom from the Benjamin Bloom YouTube channel. How are you, good sir? I'm good. The issue is you've put that analogy, the Waghorn Marriott thing, and with my ridiculous brain now, it's exploding going. So were they together and they've now been taken apart? Were they in competition for the same place? And am I the Jordan Ibe to your Martin Waghorn? And that's very nerdy and very championship and probably bang on for this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's a very on brand. We're also joined by Tom Phillips from the Cardiff podcast. View from the Ninian. Tom, are you well? I'm not too bad. Thank you very much for having me on. Being the only Welshman of the group. You can be the Tom Lawrence of that attacking trio. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the big game from this weekend was, of course, the East Midlands derby between Derby and Forest. It finished one all. However, it was controversial after Derby had a Camel Josriat goal chalked off for offside after Martin Waghorn was deemed to be obstructing the view of the goalkeeper. Justin, your thoughts on this, please. Um, I mean, my immediate thoughts were yelling and screaming at the linesman at the TV. Um, but, you know, on reflection, is it offside, is it not? It reminds me of De Gea on last, last season against Everton, um, which is really specific, but it's the only one I can think of. But it's it just it's, it's, a, it's a weird argument to have, you know. He's quite clearly not in the goalkeeper's eye line, isn't he? He's, not, he's nowhere near the goalkeeper's eye line. Um, but all the linesman's going to see is... You know he's gonna. He's got a completely different view of it. All he's gonna see is Waghorn jumping and maybe an arm go up. And he's. I mean, it took him a while to decide. So maybe he wasn't sure. And in the end, he's put his flag up just because he wasn't sure. And you know, you say fair enough, but as a Derby fan, you're raging because it should have been a goal. It absolutely should have been a goal, but it wasn't. Um, but for me, the big chance or, or the big turning point was Shinny missing the one on one, not not necessarily the disallowed goal. I could see what the linesman gave it, but <coughs> excuse me. I think it was more controversial that it got chalked off than it would have been controversial had it not been chalked off. Either way, Philip Cocker was seething after the game. Mm-hmm. Having said that, this was easily Derby's best performance of the season, Benjamin. Would you agree? Um, it was their most viable performance. I, I think to be completely facetious about the question, the best performance has to be go to Norwich, have this you know, defensive plan and it work absolutely perfectly. But in the spirit of your question, yes. And, and this is how Koku should probably be judged. You've got Waghorn back now. You've got Josviak and Lawrence now flanking him. You've got Bielik 
coming back as well, you can possibly then get Bird and Rooney in the double pivot. And it would be very silly um, to judge the manager that's tried to build that team um, and not give them a chance to actually put them on the pitch. So in terms of viability going forward, then yes, I agree, Ryan. Yeah, Martin Maghorn got Derby's goal. A beautiful free kick. It was his first start of the season. And Derby have really struggled without them, haven't they, Justin? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Benjamin pointed out, you can't you can't, you can't, can't necessarily judge Koku on the first load of games because he's been without all of his attacking players. Every Any team is going to struggle without their first teamers. Well, Derby have struggled without all of their first teamers at periods this season. And obviously, Wagon coming in, you can see the quality he's got, firstly, with that free kick and obviously his hold-up play at times as well was, was great. And it got players got players into the game and Derby were a different customer going forward. But going back to the free kick, it was... It was a beautiful goal, and obviously Samba took a step to the his left, and he may he might have got it had it not, but you know it came off under the bar, so probably not. It was a it was a, it was a great goal. What did you make of Forest Benjamin? Because I thought they were fairly poor. Um, I'm interested to see um, the the most interesting thing I think was Graben and um, Lyle Taylor both starting, and we've seen Daniel Farker do something similar now, starting uh, Pookie and Hugill. For Norwich, um, I, I suppose we're going to expect from Chris Hewton very sturdy, very solid. Hang on, wasn't we saying this about Sabri Lamushi last season? Not very um, spectacular, but I expect I expect the points to mount up. But yeah, I again, I agree. I don't always agree with Brian, <laughs> by the way, but I, I've agreed twice now um, that, yeah, that I would probably be more excited about the upward trend from a Derby point of view than the Forest point of view, but you just don't want to lose these derbies. And in this ridiculous five-game fortnight at the moment, context is king. And it's, did you come out with eight, nine or ten points from the five games rather than looking at any one with the heavy load of fixtures? Mm. Are you optimistic about Forest's chances of bouncing back from a poor start with Chris Hewton now in charge? Yeah, yeah, oh, very much so. Uh, uh, Chris Hewton... Um, my my go to um, my go to opinion on Chris Hewton is if given um, stable conditions and the finance to challenge, and I know that kind of takes in most people. Chris Hewton has proven now at Birmingham, at Newcastle, and at Brighton that he will challenge in the Championship. Obviously, the huge caveat is: do you get stable conditions and no chaos at Forest? History would say no, but hey. Uh, we'll see if um, Hewton maybe can be the calm statesman-like presence that he normally is and calm Marianakis down and actually get two seasons to to make the challenge. Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? Tom, let's talk about your game because Cardiff drew one all with Middlesbrough. When we spoke about the sec- when we spoke with you at the second game of the season, Tom, we were getting quite excited about Cardiff's chances, but it's only two wins in six so far. Have you been a bit disappointed with the start? Yeah, it looks disappointing, doesn't it? Down in 15th in the league. But I'd like rather spin it that we're four unbeaten, you know, <laughs> albeit three draws. But, you know, it's not all doom and gloom at the moment. We're like three off the playoffs as it stands. We've just started to add a bit of quality to our squad with Wilson. And it's going to it's gonna take a bit of time for it to bed in. You know, we're, we're trying to reduce the average age of our squad, which because it was so old. It was, again, quite worrying. Um, but, you know... It still feels like a transition period with Harris, which is weird, saying he's been there like a year. And, you know, we haven't had a proper pre-season at any point. You know, we've still got new faces coming in. And I feel like I've been saying this for months, but it feels like it's around the corner, the good performances, and like the points are going to come. And it's just going to take a little bit more time to bed in. Hmm. Where have you struggled so far? Weirdly defending set pieces and I just didn't think that would be our issue you know with Morrison and Nelson at the back but we, we, we seem to leak goals I think like our last five goals at home three have come from set pieces and two have come from just giving the ball away needlessly giving the ball away so we've struggled with that but we're conceding first all the time we're starting slowly we've conceded first in every home game so far and you know we we don't seem to come alive until the 60th minute where we've suddenly gone, oh, we're, we're not bad as a team. We're, we're matching up against our opposition here. Now let's have a go. I think like the Bournemouth game that's just gone was the first exciting game Cardiff have had this season and maybe for even longer, to be honest with you. 
you know, we, we got at them. Yeah, we looked like we might concede a few goals, but we looked like we might score a few as well. And that's where we struggled. We just haven't created many chances where keepers have had to pull off remarkable saves, apart from that Bournemouth game where we hit the bar and had a couple of chances there. We're just really not kind of testing opposition keepers. Sounds very Sunday league, but we're not testing the keeper enough <laughs> and we're just not getting at our opposition at all. Mm. Benjamin, that should be helped a bit now by the addition of Harry Wilson to the squad, shouldn't it? Yeah, um, which is now your kind of championship go-to lone player. We've seen him at Hull and at Derby before. And again, it um, keeps perpetuating this idea now that teams with parachute money, um, look at Cardiff, they're going for lone players. It's right. I'll, I'll spend the money on Harry Wilson for one season on a loan fee and the salary and Ojo and, and Tutu. So that seems to be the the plan by um, the Cardiff higher-ups there. Um, you Hopefully, um, it's more Lee Tomlin under um, Neil Harris than Jed Wallace under Neil Harris because that's two creative players there managed by the same guy. Tomlin was really good last season, wasn't he, for a while? And then I just think of Jed Wallace and he really improved under Rowett, didn't he? And, um, you know, I'm just wondering which one we're going to get. But um, if they can get him on the ball in dangerous areas, Wilson will obviously do damage. Yeah. Have you still got your eyes on a promotion slash playoff push this season, Tom? If you offered me sixth now, I'd bite your hand off. I don't think we're going to be anywhere near the top two. Um, I just don't think we've got the quality and depth there. I think we're a couple of injuries away from really, really struggling. I think in, before the season started, I think I said eighth, ever optimistic like I am. But, you know, I, I just, we've got a chance of sneaking in the playoffs because I think there's a few teams above us who you'd think would drop off. I'd, I'd like to say Swansea, uh, Bristol City as well. But, you know, I just, again, I think their clubs are lack a bit of depth. And <clears throat> I keep thinking I read and they're going to drop off. But who knows, you know, our, our 2-1 loss to them doesn't look quite as bad as it did earlier in the season. But, you know, we've shown flashes of stuff like we, we had a nil-nil draw with 10 men against a free score in Blackburn. So we're stubborn a beat. We, we looked OK against Bournemouth. You know, we won Forest away as well. So I'm hoping that we, we, we sneak into the playoffs. I think that's the best we can hope for. And Justin, what were your thoughts on this game from a Middlesbrough perspective? Um, I mean, it was a, it was a Warnock performance, wasn't it, away from home? But the, 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 the plodding along nicely under Neil Warnock, and I think for as long as they are making it difficult for teams to beat them, because last season they were very easy to beat, they're they're constantly improving. You know, they're unbeaten in six, so this was always going to be a difficult game for Cardiff. Um, but obviously, you know, Borough were quite happy being one nil up, which which showed, and obviously getting a goal from a set play was. Against the against the tide a little bit against Cardiff, but you know the players they've got going forward, they're a really good side, or they can be a really good side, which is um, the exciting thing for Borough, I think. Yeah, what a header by George Savile, by the way. What a header. Coming away from it, yeah. Yeah, two and two for him now. Uh, Borough played this game in a horrible white kit with loads of scribbling on it. They deserve to have a point taken off them for that shirt alone. It was disgusting. Um, Justin, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I quite like the kit. It's awful. It's the worst (laughs) kit I've seen this season. Anyway, cheers, guys. Uh, Right, let's go around the grounds and we'll start off with the side who are top of the championship. That's Reading, who have now equaled the record for the best start to a championship season after seven games with 19 points. Two of the three sides who did that before, they finished top. Alex Everson is from the Reading podcast Elm Park Royals. Alex, you must be pretty excited with how things are going. Yeah, pretty excited. Uh, Only six teams have won six of their first seven games in the championship to date. So, And I think five of those have got promoted, maybe four. Um, Reading obviously being the, the latest one. It's pretty exciting to watch though. We don't really look like we're going to concede currently, uh, even though you and multiple others seem to have a maybe a little bit of an issue with us going forwards still. Um, yeah, 19 points from 21 is a very, very good start. And it doesn't feel like we're going to need to do much more than be mid-table now to be pushing on the door of the playoffs for the rest of the season. Yeah, let's talk about what I've been saying on the podcast recently, Alex, because um, I've been getting plenty of stick from Reading fans about uh, some of the comments I've been saying recently where uh, I've been saying that I think Reading won't last and this good run of form is going to drop off soon. What do you make of that? No, I'm not sure I fully agree with everything that you've uh, said that we're going to drop off this season, though. Um, It's definitely been a tough watch 
for some of the games. The Rotherham and Wickham game, first halves especially, were not fantastic. And we aren't creating that many chances, granted. But defensively, we look so strong. But it looks very difficult to see that teams are going to be able to break us down and score more than one pass this season at a particularly high rate. Um, we've obviously played a number of teams in the bottom half as well, but we have actually now won all those games. So it is points on the board. Um, I can't really see us dropping down to be bottom half, lower lower bid table, just purely because we've already picked up those points and the teams down there are going to struggle to gain that, gain that points uh, gap back from us, even if we just pick up points at the same rate as them now. Yeah, the thing I've been saying, Alex, is defensively, I've not got an issue there. They've been good defensively. But going forwards, it's winning games off a minute number of chances. And as you mentioned, you've had Rotherham and uh, Wickham in the last couple of games. Two sides who aren't in great shakes. In fact, Wickham have been awful so far this season and you won off one shot on target. And then... Um, against Rotherham, you were fairly poor for the vast majority of the game. Um, and then you got Blackburn in midweek. Do you think that your form will continue as the fixtures get tougher? I'm not sure it's sustainable to say that we're going to keep our form, winning six games out of seven. But our next four is Blackburn away, Coventry away, Preston at home and Stoke at home. If we could pick up five or six points from those games and we're on 25 or 26 points from the first, what will that be, first 12 games, we set ourselves up in to have a really, really good season um, either way, even if we do start to drop more points. I think defensively we're very unlikely to really give up that many chances this season purely because of the double pivot that we're playing with Rinomota and Laurent. We really force teams to go out wide and Moore and Morrison are just excellent in the air and heading a lot away. Um, going forwards, yeah, we might struggle to, I guess, carry on being as clinical as we are but we're definitely not playing our strongest team still with Swift out I think once Swift is back we're probably likely to see more attacking output from us and um, I think until then if we're managing to you know be on that luckier side of games where we're picking up wins even though we're not necessarily creating all that much it bodes well for the second half of the season certainly Cheers, Alex. That's Alex from the Reading Podcast. Elm Park Royals. Justin, Pornos boys are flying. Uh, they absolutely are. And obviously, you've been very, very honest about them. But mm-hmm. I've sort of I've held back a little bit. But I think it's time to give them praise from, from our perspective because they deserve it. You know, I've not criticised them openly. Um, because they've been they've been quite tidy, but for me, you know, although they don't create an abundance of ch- chances uh, in, defensively, they're, they're they're incredibly efficient. You know, they're dominant in the airs. They sit third in the league for aerial success, mainly down to Michael Morrison, I imagine. But that that dominance gives them a bit more of an edge, and obviously, they've conceded the sixth least amount of shots in the league, and as well as that. They're aver- they've averaged the most tackles this season. So defensively, they're incredibly organised. They're very, very efficient and they're doing enough to, to get the results. They might not play the sexiest football, but defensively, they're very, very strong. They've conceded less than Brentford, Cardiff, Forest, etc. All the teams we fancied for promotion. And as long as they're not conceding goals, they're getting results. It's as simple as that. I'm not going to deny defensively they've been solid this season. In fact, they've been good, very good defensively so far. It is just the going forwards where I just think it's going to fall off very, very soon. They've had this very nice run of games against your Wickhams and your Rotherhams. Now they get a bit tougher. Blackburn in midweek and then November is a tough month against some tough sides. And if Reading come out of that in a fairly healthy position, then fair enough. I'll start believing that Reading can continue this form this season, Justin. But when they're winning games by a couple of chances, a couple of decent chances, I I just can't see this form maintaining itself. And we're still very early in the season. Worth remembering that Charlton were third after seven games last season. If any side near the top was going to have a meteoric drop like they did last season, it would be Reading. Just because the performances haven't matched the, uh, the results, is all I'm saying. There was nearly a big shock on the cards at Carrow Road as Norwich just managed to edge past Wickham. It took a 91st minute free kick from Mario Vrancic for Daniel Farker's boys to wrap up the points. Phil Catchpole is from the Wickham podcast Ringing the Blues. Phil, I imagine you were disappointed but proud of the boys. Yeah, disappointed with the result, but it was the best performance uh, in the championship by Wickham Wanderers by quite a long way. 
they they were fantastic actually, um, especially in the first half and in the second half they defended brilliantly and uh, the decisions just didn't go with them yesterday. Uh, a lot of frustration with the officials from Wickham fans as well and the free kick that won it. Um, was it a free kick on the replays? Doesn't look like it. So I think Wickham owed a, a couple of refereeing decisions along the way. Penalty in the first half on Fred on the Dimmer as well looked fairly nailed on, uh, especially on the replays too. Um, so hard to take for, for a good performance, but um, if they can play like that week in, week out in the Championship, then they should be able to stay up, I think. Um, they're tough opponents, obviously, but... You know, they're finding their feet. It's taken them six, seven games, but they're getting there and encouraging signs, I reckon, so far. Yeah, this result means Wickham have now equaled the record for the worst start uh, to a championship season. But from what you're saying, it sounds like you're still pretty positive about things. Absolutely, because the performances are moving in the right direction. Each game, um, you can see them learning and, and learning fast in some areas. And each performance is getting better and better. Um, Reading uh, on Tuesday night was a really good performance um, as well. And they built on that. And the youngsters, especially uh, on loan, Josh Knight has come in and, and really started to find his feet as centre-back. And Dennis Adenaran is a fantastic signing for Wickham Wanderers. He's literally been growing in front of our very eyes in, in every single game. Uh, and some of the lads who've been there from League One and League Two are starting to, to find their feet too. So, yeah, optimistic because they're moving in the right direction. And, and the first point really can't be far away or saying that. What for the next? Um, so, yeah, it is literally ridiculous in terms of the difference in budget. But Wickham are really rolling their sleeves up, moving in the right direction. So, yeah, optimistic still and, and will be until it's mathematically impossible to stay up. But I think they'll do it. I'm really enjoying your optimism, Phil. Uh, just finally, I said a few weeks ago on the podcast that I'm not sure Wickham will win a game this season. Uh, what do you make of that statement? The thing about following Wickham is, is it's not just blind optimism because they've been up against it in League Two, up against it in League One and always come through. So, you know, why not be optimistic when, when following Wickham? Um, you know, some Wickham fans don't think Wickham will stay up either, but they're happy to enjoy the ride and they'll be there whatever division they're in. Some fans are, are fully believing we're going to stay up and, and others are just sort of enjoying the ride and enjoying the progression. But, you know, the whole football media world is writ has written Wickham off. They wrote them off last season. They've written them off again and even more so after the start. So when people say that they won't win a game all season, you know, fantastic. I just think it makes Wickham stronger because, of course, the players and stuff will be hearing that and, and seeing that. And it does the team talks for you, really. Um, so, yeah, bring it on. They will win a game at some point. Um, I'm optimistic about that, too. So, yeah, I don't mind what people say about Wickham and, and being in the Championship. They're giving it a great go. Cheers, Phil. Phil is still keeping the faith that Wickham can stay up this season, Justin. Are you? <laughs> Thanks for putting me on the spot. Um, I, I don't think they'll stay up, but that that elusive point is coming, isn't it? I thought they played well against Norwich. Um, you know, not like a team that's lost their first six, seven games at all. Uh, and Kashka, as Phil pointed out um, in our first episode of the season, he's he's Wickham's man, and obviously he's quite sharp in the box. So as long as they're creating opportunities for him they might get a result <laughs> I say they might but they might get a result they they obviously they need to defend better um, like giving away fouls on the edge of the box whether or not it was a foul or not uh, and they also should have had a penalty so things aren't quite going the way things will fall into place to, uh, things will th fall into place for Wickham eventually you say creating chances for cash get they, they've had two goals off two defensive clangers just in so far this season that might be hard creating but chances. it's true uh, at the end of the day Wickham have looks better haven't they in the last couple of Absolutely. games you, you've got to give them credit there um, whether a point's on its way I would say it looks like it's coming um, it's just with the way they've been going so far defensively atrocious um, and creating a minimal amount of chances admittedly they were unlucky in this game and they were unlucky the week before as well um, it doesn't look like um Wickham will stay up this season. I haven't. I don't share Phil's uh, optimism, but whether they'll get a win, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? But it was a really shaky performance from Norwich. They've now got three wins in three, but it's a very unconvincing winning streak, isn't it, Justin? Because it was also got to be pointed out against three fairly average sides. Yeah, the the stumbling, the limping, the the dragging the leg behind them, aren't they? They're not quite. They're not. They just haven't got going yet. And I think you know the winning games while playing poorly 
you know, in the context of things, they've got their squads miles ahead of Wickham's, but Wickham had a chance here. Um, but, you know, you saw the goal that Pukie scored. You know, that goal was straight out of 2018. You know, Buendia collecting the ball, Pukie running in between the centre-half and the left-back. You know, a bit more of that. They can start getting results. Yeah, Norwich fans are a bit frustrated with the likes of your Campwells and your Brendias. They think they're not performing enough as they should be. And I suppose they've got a point mm-hmm. when they're struggling against a Wickham side. Um, Mario Vrancic, you got the goal here. They're calling for him to come into the side. So that's one to monitor for the next couple of weeks. Uh, Brentford up next for the Canaries in what is a pretty tricky run coming up for them. There's a big game between two sides who you'd expect to be near the top of the championship this season. That's Watford and Bournemouth. Their game finished one all after a 95th minute equaliser from Chris Meppham. Mike Duffy is from the Watford podcast Voices of the Vic. Mike, what did you think of this game? As always against Bournemouth, very, very cagey affair. We knew what we were going to be in for, a team that haven't lost this season. Coming to Vicarage Road, where we had 100% record before today, uh, but we knew that it was going to be tasty challenges, uh, it was going to be a cagey affair, uh, and if someone was going to win it, it was going to be by a fine margin, but we also knew that the head-to-head fixtures against them, that fixture loves to throw out a draw. So... Yeah, we, we knew exactly what we were getting with Bournemouth because we've sort of been up with them, we've been down with them, we sort of locked horns quite a bit over the last few years. So it's a team we, we're very aware of. What have you made of Watford's start to the season? What we've been saying on the podcast uh, the past few weeks is that Watford have been very solid defensively. Only Reading have conceded fewer goals this season and it's been reflected in the chances created against them as well. Uh, going forwards, they've been all right. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, I think had you offered a Watford fan, any Watford fan, the points that we're on at the moment, based on the amount of games that we played, I think they'd snap your hand off. I think even the most harshest critique of a Watford fan would would agree with that as well. Um, Defensively, it's been an absolute blessing, but we knew that's what Ivic would be bringing from his time at Maccabi Tel Aviv, albeit the Israeli league is very different to the championship. So it's actually quite refreshing to see that his style of play Um, has sort of transferred across to the English League. Um, And, yeah, going forwards, we're perhaps not quite where we need to be. But, listen, I I think it will only get better. We've still got Deeney to come back. We've still got Andre Gray to come back. Stoic Pariccia, hopefully he's not out for too long, but he looks a cracking player as well. Uh, And then not forgetting João Pedro. So there's going to be some tasty partnerships up front this season, which we're really looking forward to. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? When you've got a solid base defensively like Watford have and you mentioned the likes of Deeney, Gray, Ismail Assar those players will come good eventually won't they because they are quality at this level Absolutely they are you know me and Ben mentioned it on our podcast that keeping hold of the likes of Will Hughes, Ismail Assar, Troy Deeney, Andre Gray, Etienne Capu they're almost like new signings themselves because the quality that they add to the league is and I don't mean to sound too biased here but to have that calibre of players in the in the championship is quite frankly ridiculous. Um, it, it's a miracle that we've been able to keep hold of them, and I think that once it, it's going to take a while because, as we know, Capu handed in a transfer request, so he's not, you know, he's not started the last two games. Yes, he's featured, but he's not started. So we've got these players to come in. It may take a few more months to get everyone on song and everyone playing, but believe me, when we're ready to click, that one team is going to take an absolute battering and God help them. Cheers, Mike. That's Mike from the Watford podcast, Voices of the Vic. Just in a fairly tight game, this one. Could have been a lot different had Lloyd Kelly been sent off in the first minute for what was essentially a drop kick. Uh, yes, and a bit more... <laughs> Uh, I'm a bit flabbergasted really with the officials from both Friday night's game and obviously the week at the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday between Watford and Bournemouth because I thought Lloyd Kelly and Philip Billing should have been sent off. Billing for two yellows, the elbow and the high tackle on Cleverly. I don't know how he's got away with them, not even being booked. Lloyd Kelly, for example, should have been red carded straight away. Really... (laughs) You need you need big big uh, you need officials um, to, to to get these big decisions right in in these games because in the grand scheme of things towards the end of the season that's when it starts to make a difference um, and as you say you know it it could have been a more one sided game had had Lloyd Kelly been sent off no it wasn't malicious I don't think it was malicious but blimey it's a knee high tackle 
You don't. It's it's just, a, it, it yeah. was awful, wasn't yeah. it? It was an awful tackle. And the only reason I can assume that it wasn't a red card was because it was in the first minute of the yeah. game. Because if that was sixty minutes later. I can't see any referee who wouldn't have given him his marching orders. Mm -hmm. But either way, the one thing you could say about this game, it was essentially a Premier League match because of the names in <laughs> both in both squads. Both these sides have lost so many big players, but they've still got loads of quality left. It is early in the season, Justin, but I do wonder if both of these teams could be uh, absolutely flying soon once they've settled down. As Mike was just saying then, when you've got the likes of Saar, King, Lerma, Dini in this game, or uh, playing for both these sides I could go on players who shouldn't be playing at this level should yeah. they um, right let's take a break Justin after that we'll have a little chimrag about wins for Blackburn Stoke and Preston It's a little-known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh no, dear listener. There's also training wear, tracksuits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Right, Coventry nil, Blackburn 4. This game all went to shit for Coventry after <laughs> Michael Rose was sent off after 14 minutes. Uh, but just one win so far this season for the Sky Blues. Jerry Crone is from the Coventry podcast, Knee Lamptey. What have you made of Cov's start to life back in the Championship, Jerry? Uh, some highs, some lows. I think what's clear is that we've probably got a first team that's capable of maybe staying up but very little strength in depth overall but three red cards across league and cup so far that's not been helpful and especially getting them early and giving away penalties in the same uh, bit yeah tricky one yeah in fairness though Cov have had a tricky run of games haven't they Bournemouth Brentford Blackburn Swansea four teams who have either started very well or who you expect to be up there come the end of the season so do you think the results might start turning again soon I don't know if they will but I think it's fair to say that if they don't then we're completely knackered so we've got four games in a row now against teams who play in a much different way than we have come up against so far so more physical possibly more direct and I think, in theory, that should help us. Blackburn pushed our back line very high up yesterday and we didn't like it because as much as we try and play out from the back, we did an all right job of it in League One. Championship, obviously, a big jump up. So there's going to be a lot to be told about what the rest of the season looks like over the course of the next four games. We also hope over the course of the next four games, we've got Hamer back from suspension. Hopefully Dabo come back. Some of our proper, legit first-team players might make a big difference over the next four. And Jerry, I remember when we were talking at the start of the season, Coventry fans were very positive about their chances this season after flying through the League One last season. Um, what's the general vibe around the fan base at the moment? Is everyone still positive? I think the people that were saying we were going to finish in the playoffs this season at the start of the season are now probably the same people that are saying that we're definitely going to get relegated. Um, we don't know, do we? It's very early on in the season. It's a very strange season in itself. I think most people are sort of reasonably pragmatic about the fact that no matter what we look like at the start of the season, we're probably relegation candidates and it's just a case of trying to finish as you know as close to staying up as possible. Cheers, Jerry. That's Jerry from Knee Lamptey. Justin, Blackburn, a brilliant start, followed up by a run of three games without a win, but now back to their winning ways. It was. It was probably one of the most one-sided games you'll see. What's the worst thing you can do uh, from a Coventry perspective against a team as good as Blackburn is get your, get a man sent off after 14 minutes. Um, but as I say, one of the most one-sided games you'll see this season, apart from maybe Ajax beating a team 13-0 at the weekend. Um, Armstrong will take the plaudits, quite rightly. You know, He bagged a brace, but Brereton deserves a lot of credit. He got three assists when you include winning the penalty. Um, and he's finally looking like the player we saw in glimpses coming through at Forest, which is 
really really exciting um uh, and what blackburn i've got now is is, is options the, the front three for me is one of the best in the league and i said this a few weeks ago they don't have a traditional striker which means breaking through and, and the movement of Brereton armstrong will make it difficult for defenders to track them uh, and then with dolan and elliot as a sort of the, the right winger you know you've got two very talented young players that can rotate and then you know you're bringing sam gallagher who is a massive lump he can disrupt um, we've not even considered the likes of Lewis Holtby and Bradley Daku uh, and others who can create chances. So this is a really exciting team. And obviously this win sort of epitomises Blackburn. That's two 4-0 wins away from home now for them, by the way. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. I'd say Blackburn are the sides I'm most excited about in the championship at the moment. Adam Armstrong, one of the deadliest finishers in the league. Harvey Elliott, one of the most exciting young English prospects in the country. And then, as you say, you've got Bradley Dack coming back soon. Mm-hmm. And we all know what he's capable of. And then Ben Brereton, who's showing a new lease of life. You back that up with a midfield and a fence that's been strengthened by the likes of Ayala, Douglas, Tribal. There's a lot to like about this Black, uh, Blackburn team. And I've said it before, the most important thing is the amount of quality and depth they've got in this squad. And I think as the season goes on, they're more than capable of a playoff finish. They could even surprise a few and maybe go even further. They're a joy to watch. I'm very excited by them. Uh, this is the part of the show where I make us all feel very old by reminding us how <laughs> how old Harvey Elliott still is. Uh, he's still only 17. Got his first goal in senior football yesterday. 2003, he was born in Justin. Do you want to know what films came out in 2003? The Incredibles? Uh, no, not in 2003. Finding Nemo. Lord mm. of the Rings, Return of the King. Bruce Almighty. (laughs) We're so old. (laughs) So, so old. Stoke 3, Brentford 2. Two goals from Marcus Force. Wasn't enough for Thomas Frank's side to take anything away from the Bet365 stadium. Uh, Ivan Tony didn't score, which means his goal drought is on 90 minutes at the moment. (laughs) Billy Grants from the Brentford podcast, B-Sotted. Billy, the first thing I noticed about this game was Brentford starting 11. No Boomer, no Janssen, no Jensen and no Norgard. What were your initial thoughts when you saw that team? Yeah, I've got to say there was a bit of confusion when the team came out. The initial thought, uh, maybe there was a little bit of overthinking from Thomas Frank after Snoke knocked us for six in the playoffs last season. I mean, basically they killed our automatic promotion hopes when they beat us in the last two games of the season. And I think we went into this game thinking we can't go and do that again. And maybe we just go out there and try and see if we can nick a point. Pontus Janssen being out is a big, big blow for us. Obviously, he's a rock in the back for us. And we felt that we needed to go back to a back three. And that's something that we haven't done since early Thomas Frank days when we were shipping goals. Um, that's two years ago. And uh, and then we were playing with these wing backs as well. The problem was we literally were all over the shop. Good, who had a good game against Southampton. He actually wasn't very good. Um, Dalsgaard looked ill at sorts. We were slow in the middle and Stoke just picked us apart. Yeah, Brentford have been very Brentfordy so far this season, Billy. Um, they put in a good performance and then put together a couple of decent wins. And then it's followed up by a sloppy performance. Why does this keep happening every season? It's simple, really. We lose players and then when we get new players in, more often than not, they need time to bed because they're either not match ready or they're not championship ready. I mean, Tony, um, Ivan Tony came in, replaced Ollie Watkins and he's on fire. So that's good news. But you have to remember, Saeed Benrahma only left on the last day of the window and someone has to step into his shoes. It's big shoes to step into as well. So it's going to take time. The word on the street, on the Brentford street, is that Godosh is the man and he's going to be a star. But it's going to be take a bit of time to sort of develop into the right role. The truth is, Brentford don't really get going till after the transfer window because we're always on edge as to somebody plucking one of our players at the last minute. If you look at the stats, we're currently 10th place, seven games in, with 10 points. Last season, at exactly the same point, we were seven games in, we were 18th place with seven points. And also, Charlton were in second place, Swansea were top of the league, and QPR were just outside the playoff spots. So it's going to be a long, long season of back-to-back games. There's lots of games to play. And Billy, I wanted to ask you about uh, Marcus Force. He got both of Brentford's goals yesterday. Uh, Tell us about him. Marcus Force. The Force field. Or for the old schoolers, woo, 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 can you feel the Force? He's a young finished striker straight out of the Brentford B team. He's really highly regarded by the coaching staff and is apparently the best finisher at the club. Anyway, he went to a struggling AFC Wimbledon and he scored 11 goals in 19 appearances. They loved him down at Wimbledon, but a serious injury cut short his loan period and he was sent back to Brentford to recuperate. 
He's come back this season fully recovered, it seems, and he's our main backup striker and a great option to have off the bench. Cheers, Billy. That's Billy from Besotted. Just one loss this season for Stoke, Justin. It seems like everything is really starting to come together for them now. And with Michael O'Neill, who is one of, if not the best manager in the league, I think they could be quite hard to stop this season. Their side is becoming a well-oiled machine. Defensively, they've conceded quite a few goals so far, but they're not exposing themselves to many chances. And over time, that should get better. And they're going forwards. They've had a new lease of life with six in the last three games. Fletcher is starting to replicate his form from last season with Wednesday. And Tyrese Campbell is on fire. He's played a part in six goals in his last four games. And he's starting to show what he can do. Stoke, another side to watch out for him, Tanya. We've tipped them to be surprised promotion contenders at the start of the season. And they're starting to look like that now. Yeah, it was a statement win, wasn't it? You know, the, the front three has got such a nice balance to it. You know, we, we know how good Tyrus Campbell is, as you said. Mm. Stephen Fletcher, we know he's a very good number nine at this level. And I think Jacob Brown gives him something a little bit different. Uh, and then you add in the wing backs, James McLean especially, who was very good yesterday. There really is a nice blend to this Stoke team. And, you know, I might even pick him as my first team on the new FM coming out. Um, and and they they exploited um, Brentford's weaknesses, which were was down the left. You know, Charlie Good playing on the right hand side of a back three was a bit of a faux pas, given that he played centrally at Northampton, and they exploited it really nicely. Yeah, well, as Billy was just saying, um, it seems a lot of Brentford fans are quite frustrated that um, Thomas Frank decided to uh, meddle with the tactics here, going with three at the back, and uh, it seemed like he tried to match up with Stoke. It didn't work at all. They looked awful until they managed to change the formation around but nonetheless let's go to Preston because they got back-to-back wins after beating Huddersfield 2-1 on the show last weekend Justin we said Preston was struggling what we should have said <laughs> is they're struggling at home because away they've been brilliant get this they've lost all three home games this season but 10 points from a possible 12 away from home it's remarkable contrast to last season when they were terrible away from home and really yeah. good at home so yeah weird position to, to be in um, and obviously I was saying last week that they were struggling they're going under the radar a little bit which is probably what Alex Neal would want you know and obviously in this game they came from behind which shows how good the character is in this team um, but as you mentioned it's it's a strange one I quite like the look of Jakobsen coming through as well you know he's, he's obviously quite new to the team um, and he looked at a nuisance in the week he won a penalty and obviously got Naby Sar sent off so there's something growing there and obviously Alan Brown at right wing back scoring goals um, you know it's helped when, when the opposition is making clangers but they're a team that is starting to grow into the season yeah, I was going to mention Jakobsen. He had a great game, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He's definitely one to keep an eye on this season. Wednesday, nil. Luton won. Seven days after Justin said Wednesday would be playoff contenders had it not been for the points deduction. They've lost two in two. Justin, do you want to apologise to the Sheffield Wednesday fans for cursing them? It's, it happens a lot on this show. I think people are aware of this. So <laughs> if we praise your team, it's not a good thing. So Reading fans, for example, going after you, they should actually be really happy with that because it's it's working in their favor um yeah but you know they, they weren't great here they they created some chances but they just weren't weren't good enough and you know jack marriott for example carrying on where he left off at derby with just 14 touches of the ball um you know you've got barry bannon who can play balls over the top for jack marriott to run, run into but they're not i don't think that there's a lot of new signings there that are still gelling i think and it's not really what you want when your team's on minus four Mm. there's a horrible red card in this game Eustvan Aken I don't know how you say his name I probably absolutely butchered that uh, but he got sent off and it was, it was horrible it was one of them that really made me wince when I saw it <laughs> in fact there were two this weekend which made me shudder when I saw them but we'll get onto that one in just a sec Luton bounced back after two losses Justin yep it's a, it's a clean sheet as well and you know maybe they were lucky you know Simon Sluger was kept busy but I think He's been he's been key for them this season. You know, he, he made so many so many mistakes last season. We know he did. You know, Luton have tightened up defensively, but with a goalkeeper in as good as form as Simon Sluger is, they're going to be going well. He's since Jones has come in, actually, he's, he's been a different animal. He's made four saves against Wednesday, kept them in the game. He's made them uh, seventh most uh, saves inside the penalty area this season. So. You know, shots coming in in the penalty area, he's stopping them, which is great for a goalkeeper. You know, three clean sheets and six conceded all season. He's been a big part in Luton's success um, so far this season. Yeah, definitely, I'd agree with that. Millwall won, Barnsley won, Alex Marrott with an absolute shit snorter. What a goal that was, Justin. It, it was a great goal, yeah. <laughs> it's got to be the goal of the season so far. I know we're only seven games in, but 
I can't think of too many others better than that. It was, it was amazing. Uh, Gary Rowett wasn't in the dugout for Millwall because he's tested positive for coronavirus. Instead, it was Adam Barrett who was on the sideline talking to Rowett over the phone, which I thought looked quite funny. Just it did, yeah. it made him look like It made him look like he was a Sunday league manager who wasn't interested in the game at all and was trying to sort something out at work after one of his colleagues called him. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's a bit like, you know, when you're in the shops and you get a call from a family member, your mum or something, it's like, make sure you pick this up, make sure you pick this up. And you're frantically walking around like, I don't know where it is. It was a bit like that, wasn't it? <laughs> and you, you've got the phone to your shoulder <laughs> yeah. because you're trying to carry stuff at the same time. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite funny to watch. Uh, but this game also had a horrible tack in it, tackle in it. Uh, Callum Bretain on Conor Mahoney oh, yeah. made a horrible noise. I was surprised he didn't get sent off, but Mahoney's all right, thankfully. Uh, the game itself, Millwall perhaps unfortunate not to come away with all three points here. Uh, Bristol City drew one all with Swansea and Naki Wells' penalty saving the Robins. And finally, QPR nil, Birmingham nil. Two sides who are struggling in at the moment. Also two sides who we haven't spoken about much on the show because there hasn't really been anything too interesting to say about them. Be more interesting, QPR and Birmingham. Now it's time for Who Knows Wins, Justin. This is our league where you can win money from correctly predicting the results of championship games. It's really easy to do. You just need to download the Who Knows Wins app and join our leagues. Guess the most correct results out of the games in the championship. The more people involved, the bigger the prize. So get your mates involved. Well done to XG Sports, who was this weekend's winner. He got seven correct results out of ten, meaning they took the whole jackpot. Justin, you cruelly missed out. You got six correct results how do you feel yeah I, was, <laughs> I made my feelings known in a whatsapp to you didn't I I was very frustrated um, there was a few of us on six but it, was, it would have been nice to win a bit of money but fair play to xg guy <laughs> his name is <laughs> I got two which is very poor for me uh, important who knows wins news from us though we're upping the stake for our weekend league which means bigger prizes so some of the prizes on the app this weekend have been over 20 grand 20 grand, Justin, which is bonkers. Uh, so make sure you join our weekend league and we'll see if we can try and match those numbers. Uh, we've also got our midweek league as well, Justin. So let's go through our predictions for that. Uh, Blackburn versus Reading. Which way are you going? I'm going to draw here. You'll be unsurprised to hear me go for a Blackburn win. Brentford v Norwich. Uh, I'm going to draw again. I'm going Brentford. Borough versus Coventry. I'm going Borough. I'm going draw. Swansea v Stoke. Uh, I'm going Stoke win. I'm going draw. Preston v Millwall. Uh, I think I've gone with a Millwall win here. I've also gone for a Millwall win. And Luton versus Forest. I've gone with a Luton win. I've gone for a draw. Very divisive selections from us both again there, Justin. Yep. I mean, I've I've <laughs> scored better than you have, so maybe maybe lean towards fairness. mine. <laughs> it's because, I, I tell you what, I usually try to avoid draws. Because I, my, my thinking is a result either way is more likely than a draw. But there's been so many draws. Yeah. There are five one ones out of twelve games this yeah. weekend, which is and, just bonkers. And a nil nil. Uh, so I feel like I've got to put yeah, I've got to put more faith in the draws. Uh, so anyway, that's who knows wins. Make sure you join both our leagues to win some big prizes, all from just guessing the results of championship games. It's that simple. There's a link to both the leagues in the description of the podcast. So make sure you join now. Right, it's time for the news. Right, so Barnsley have appointed former Bayern Munich and Crystal Palace defender Valerian Ishmael as their new head coach following the departure of Gerhard Struber a couple of weeks ago. Where was he last in charge? You'll be shocked to know it was in Austria. Thoughts, Justin? I don't know a lot about him, but I think you can start to build a spectrum of Barnsley appointments. You've got Daniel Stendhal in the middle, you've got Gerhard Struber on the good, and then you've got Jose Gomez at the bad. So where is he going to land? You hope, you know, in between Stendhal and Struber? would be the positive, I think, or even surpassing Struber. Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, we don't know too much about Ishmael. Um, Carlo Van Watering from the Barnsley podcast, Reds Report, was on here last week saying he wanted a manager with experience in the Championship. He hasn't got that. And the thing is with Struber that we saw when he was appointed last season is um, he did a good job and he made Barnsley a better side than when he took over. But it took a while for him to get going, didn't it? And I worry that the same might happen with Ishmael here. Well, I mean, it's, it's worth pointing out. He, he does have some experience in Championship because he played for Palace. So, well, no, I mean as a manager. Yeah, no, but the, he knows a little bit. He maybe knew more than Stendhal and Struber coming in. Is what I'm getting at, and even Jose Gomez. So he, there's a little bit of experience there. 
It's a little bit, at the very <laughs> least, I suppose. Uh, do you remember him as a player? Because no, I don't at all. No, it was around. No. The, I think it was around the time I had my first season ticket. Where I was, I was a, I was a baby, Ryan. Well, you say that, but he was at Bayern in two thousand and seven, I think. So not that long ago. And I'll be talking a Bayern Munich player, but I, I do not well, remember him at all. Two thousand and seven onwards, Bayern Munich till like two thousand and ten was terrible. So let's not Good let's point. not use that as a as a measurement. <laughs> Very good point. Uh, Wayne Rooney has revealed he's tested negative for coronavirus, but is angry and disappointed. He has to self-isolate and miss three of Derby's matches. Uh, This is now one at the time of recording. Uh, This was after a friend apparently delivered a watch to him. Uh, And this friend had tested positive for coronavirus and knowingly went to Rooney's house, which is stupid. To, to say the very least. Uh, the EFL has asked the government to allow its clubs to defer millions of pounds in tax payments as it tries to help clubs survive the coronavirus pandemic. The EFL turned down a £50 million bailout offer from the Premier League for clubs in League 1 and 2 because there was no contingency for championship sites. Um, I've seen a lot said about um, whether the championship actually should get as much money as it wants just because the thing is the clubs who are asking for the money are still spending quite a lot of money at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing is, though, there are still clubs in the championship who could go out of business, aren't there? There are, but I don't have a lot of sympathy for some championship clubs. If we look at, we mentioned Cardiff spending £5 million on Harry Wilson. I know you got parachute payments, but you can't justify a bailout when you're spending that much money. From my perspective, Derby spent £3 million on Kamal Yoziak. They're one of the teams that spent terrible terrible finances I I can't I can't offer any sympathy whereas the league two league one and two teams they they need the money so if, mm. you know the EFL to you know refuse the bailout because of championship clubs well I don't know if that was the right idea because the league one and two teams could go out of business a lot sooner than championship teams I suppose the thing is, the spending in the championship for the past few seasons has been so out of control, yeah. hasn't it? And it's got to this point now where clubs are still squeezing out money and splashing it on uh, deals that shouldn't be happening mm-hmm. for at championship level. I think as soon as we get a wage cap coming in, which I imagine will be relatively soon, uh, the better, just for the championship's finances in general. Uh, former Forest boss Sabi Lamushi is now in charge at Qatari Club Al Duhail, uh, the Telegraph's reporting he wants to sign Lewis Graben with the transfer deadline over there today. So by the time you listen to this, that might have already happened, if it does happen. Um, the Athletic say Forrester trying to convince the EFL to let them sign Kamal Grasicki from West Brom. Forrester apparently sent the forms 21 seconds after the transfer deadline a couple of weeks ago. But their lawyers are saying the time was technically still five o'clock. Something should be allowed to go through. Why? Why do clubs leave it to the last minute, Justin? <laughs> this is the uh, the whole he's twenty seven till he's twenty eight thing, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's so daft. I, I say clubs left it to the last minute. They've left it to the minute of the deadline, which is yeah, that's not just, it's just through, bonkers. Uh, Tom Cleverley has agreed a new three-year contract with Watford. The 31-year-old will stay at the club until 2023. I'm surprised to see that he's 31. That, again, yeah, that, that makes you feel old, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but a, a three-year contract for a 31-year-old who, I wouldn't say is at the peak of his powers anymore. He's certainly had his best years, but for me, I think he's looked really tidy for Watford so far this season. He's, he's probably, alongside Chalabar, one of the standout players for me. Fair enough. And a cat who went missing eight years ago has been reunited with his owners in Swansea. 11-year-old Mo escaped from a cattery while they were on holiday and has been living elsewhere ever since. The RSPCA identified him with a microchip after he was found at the house of an elderly woman who had died. Good news, but not for the woman who died. Um, (laughs) But good news for the cat and the owners. Yeah. Do the polls, Justin. Uh, on Twitter, we put out three polls each Sunday afternoon uh, with questions we want to get your thoughts on. So the first question I put out to our listeners, Justin, was where will Reading finish in the championship this season? Automatic promotion, playoffs, top half, mid-table or below? Where are you going, Justin? Uh, just, to, just to piss you off, I'm going to go automatics. <laughs> <laughs> um Automatic promotion got 11%. Playoffs got 32%. Top half got 43%. Mid-table or below got 14%. 
I'm going to put my bets in mid-table or below. Um, <laughs> next question. Who will finish higher this season? Bournemouth or Watford? After those two plays at the weekend, who would you go with? Uh, I want to say Watford. They've got, they've got a bit more strength and depth. So what do you need to come back, for example? So, You know what? I would. This would probably be the first poll question that I'm just going to bail out of. Because I really can't call that. They're that so... Option? They're so close in terms of quality and both managers not particularly experienced at championship level I, I, it's tough to call that one but our listeners don't seem to think so 72% have gone for Watford and at 28% went Bournemouth and finally what is the best cartoon of all time Family Guy Pokemon The Simpsons or South Park which one are you going with well my suggestion wasn't hasn't even made the list Quite rightly so. Fair enough. Um, you, you said Mona the Vampire. It's the first one that came to my head. Um, uh, Why? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I grew up watching Pokemon, so I'm going to go with Pokemon. Pokemon came last, unfortunately, which is a massive shame. Uh, that got 14%. The Simpsons ran away with it. 46%. Uh, Family Guy got 22%. South Park got 18%. I'd go Simpsons or South Park, even though The Simpsons at the moment is so bad. It needs cancelling ASAP. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. This is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Benjamin Bloom from the Benjamin Bloom YouTube channel and Tom Phillips from the Cardiff podcast View from the Ninian. Chaps, only one team has managed to defeat Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight so far this season. Are you confident you'll be able to win? No, not even slightly, no. (laughs) I like the confidence, I like the confidence. Uh, So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject and all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name the eight clubs, beginning with the letter B, who have been in the championship, and Justin were to say Brentford, that's one down. And if Benjamin would say Blackburn, that's another down. But if Tom were to say Southampton for some reason, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, boys, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Is that clear? Yeah, good. Fantastic. So as mentioned earlier in the show, Wickham have now equaled the record for the worst start to the season in the championship. But in fairness, it's a small club at this level with a small stadium, the smallest in the league, in fact. So what I want you to do, boys, is name me the eight smallest grounds in the championship in terms of capacity. That's not including Wickham because I just said them. So, Justin, we'll start with you first. Can you name me one of the smallest grounds in the championship bar Wickham? Just before I crack on, Coventry technically don't have a ground, so you know zero attendance and and, and capacity. <laughs> but but I'm going to start with Kenilworth Road at Luton Town. I don't appreciate your technicalities, but you are correct. Kenilworth Road is on there. That's just over ten thousand, the smallest in the Championship, bar Wickham. Tom, can you name me another small ground in the Championship, please? Oof, I'm going to go for Rotherham, please. Rotherham is on there. That's just over 12,000. The New York Stadium. Benjamin, can you name me another small ground, please? Bournemouth. Yep. Well done, boys. You've got these three smallest so far. Dean Courts with just over 11,500. Justin, another one, please. Um, Watford have had a lot done to their ground, but I'm going to go with Vicarage Road. I'm going to go with them. You are just right. They have got over 21,500. That is the biggest out of the eight here. So that's the bar, if that helps for any of you. Tom, can you name me another small ground, please? I'm going to go for Loftus Road, QPR, please. Yeah, the Kai and Prince Foundation Stadium, as it's now known, 18,500. You're on a roll, boys. You need how many more? Three more. Benjamin, can you name another one for me, please? Um... Probably not, no. Um, <laughs> I I don't, despite being very loud, I don't think Millwall is that large in terms of capacity. But a wonderful club nonetheless, don't tweet me. Um, <laughs> Millwall. You would be right. The den is on there, just over 20,000. Mill indeed. Uh, Justin, can you name me another one, please? Uh, we're down on the list now. Um, that's... Two left gone very tricky uh well griffin park's gone and that would have been in there but i am going to lean towards new griffin park i can't remember what it's called brentford ground the brentford community stadium is on there that's just over seventeen thousand. tom 
for a clean sweep, can you name me the final smallest ground in the championship, please? As much as I don't want to win saying this team's name, I'm going to go for <laughs> the little brothers down the road, Swansea City. <sighs> the little brothers. That hurt, that did, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the little brothers in your words, do have the <laughs> final smallest ground in the championship, the Liberty Stadium, with just over 21,000. A clean sweep for Benjamin Bloom, Tom Phillips and Justin Peach. They have named the eight smallest grounds in the championship. Well done, boys. You're only the second team this season to complete Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. How do you feel? Probably one of my proudest moments of my life so far, I must admit. Veteran <laughs> <laughs> slave for you. Uh, a- absolutely. Um, at the end of the day, we gave it everything we can. We go again next week and it's great to come out on top. <laughs> Cliches. I love it. Well, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Thank you for listening. A reminder that we've got midweek games coming up again. So we'll have a new episode on Thursday and we look forward to seeing you then. Benjamin Bloom from the Benjamin Bloom YouTube channel. Thank you for your time. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Tom Phillips for the Cardiff Podcast. View from the Ninian. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll speak to you again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Beach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.